Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to Talk Junkies, where today is going to be a, a very interesting day, as it is each and every Sunday here at the Weiss household. Um, if you missed last week's podcast, we had Daphne on talking about what it is to be transgender. It was uh, very interesting, a lot of stuff that I learned uh, throughout that process. Um, and it, it was a good podcast, you know, like I said, I did learn a lot. So if you are interested in that, just tune into last week's podcast and check it out and give it a thumbs up or thumbs down, whichever one you want to do. Uh, but anyways, today's going to be a very interesting day. I think that the topics that uh, the guests and I are going to be talking about today are very impactful on the way that society is and why it is that way. And it's social media and its effects on teenagers and, it, and, it, and its effects on anyone, honestly, because it has its effects on me as well. But I think specifically uh, more geared towards teenagers. But anyways, um, this gentleman's name is Scott. I got, had the pleasure of meeting him at work, and I'm glad that I, I met him. And we've had some very interesting conversations. What's led him here today? Scott, how you doing, man? Doing great. I'm glad to be on your podcast. And like you said, we've had some great conversations. Uh, love, to, love to do that on your podcast today. I know, man. I'm excited. You're, you're an awesome guy. You're a bald guy just like me. So that's probably why we connect so well. Uh, but anyways, man, just tell us a little bit about yourself and your journey if you want. I mean, you don't have to, but uh, just uh, why are you here right now? Yeah, absolutely. So I am a licensed professional counselor. So licensed clinical professional counselor, which is the, you know, the highest level in Kansas. Um, I have been practicing since 2009. I have a private practice. Um, in Leewood, Kansas. And then I also have a nonprofit organization that focuses on trauma and trauma recovery. Um, so it's, it's called Kansas City Trauma Response Network, kctrn.com. And we really focused initially on uh, responding to disasters, man-made natural disasters. Um, but as of lately, my focus is starting to change towards um, the the things that I'm seeing coming into the office, right? I'm seeing teenagers, um, young teens, uh, mostly I work with 15 and up, but I also have uh, groups that are in my, uh, in my suite that work with younger kids. They're all full. You can't get a spot and none of them are taking insurance. And the reason why is because the demand for support, for teenage support is going through the roof. And it's really hard for teenage boys to find counselors at this point. You, teenage girls usually are, resonate better with, with girl counselors. Um, you know, guys, they, they tend to want to have a guy counselor and there aren't as many of us. So, um, you know, today I'm, I'm really kind of having that feeling that, that we need to have a conversation about what social media is doing um, to, to teenage mental health and why it's not just being teenagers these days, why adding being a teenager and social media together are resulting in some real challenges that, that I don't think the general public sees, um, but those of us that, that do mental health counseling really see, and it's, it's crisis. Well, I think what you and I have kind of talked about is the internet is still fairly new whenever you think about its inception and when it really took a foot, and especially social media, I think you said it was what, like 2007 or 2000, it was like 2000 between, I yeah, remember, I remember 2009, having, 2009 was when the first uh, social media app, app hit a phone, right? So that's about when phones got it. Um, the first iPhone was 2005. So if you think about it, we've only been kind of in this world for a little over 15 years. Um, and yet we act like this has always been this way, right? We, we act like we've always had a phone in our hands and we act like every kid should have one. Um, but we've only had 15 years to explore this world. And I would say that in the last 
three to five years, things have changed even more dramatically. Uh, if you look back you know, to what the original iPhone was, it really didn't do much. It might have a couple of apps on it. Now, a teenager can go out to the app store and download just about anything they want. No parent will ever know what they download unless you know, they, they track their phones. And so that's, that's pretty, uh, pretty wide open. And so for me, and, and you and I have had multiple conversations about this, and I'm trying to grasp my head around it because, I mean, everyone's different, but there are a lot of people in the world, and you see it especially as a counselor, but the way that the social media apps are actually affecting kids. Now, let's bring it to its most basic point. Um, and I guess what I'm trying to do is just format the podcast in a way that we can just, you know, uh, paint a picture for people. Um, where did it where did it begin with the issues with social media with teenagers? Yeah, so you know we started kind of seeing the rise in suicidality. So teenagers either self harming, cutting, uh, or actually committing suicide. Um, so the the numbers that we started to see um, really started to skyrocket just in the in the past um, several years. So if you take a look from 2011 to 2013, you're starting to see increases of 189% in preteens for hospital admissions, right? Due to cutting or self-harm, you're seeing increases of 151% uh, in preteens for suicidality. I mean, that that's huge. And it had been steady state for years and years and years. So it isn't, it isn't a mystery. Like you can see when social media hits and you can see when every kid gets a phone and you can see what's going on um, in the data. Um, so I'm drawing a lot of this data from uh, a, a show that's available for free right now on Netflix called The Social Dilemma. Uh, I encourage everybody in this podcast to, to, to check it out. It's, it's a really good primer on the inventors of these social media apps, early inventors of Facebook, Google, right, Instagram, admitting that they built something that they thought was really cool and now regretting that it had a dark side to it. And it now is affecting teens' mental health. And I think the tech industry itself is kind of like, what do we do about it? We know that we created a monster here. Um, can, can we make any difference? And, and my, my argument would be that the people that made this are not the people that fix it. The money incentive is huge, right? In order for them to fix it, they would have to break their business model. And I don't think that they're willing to do that. So that means that we, those of us concerned parents, citizens, uh, whomever, uh, focus on what can we do to make a change? Because if you look at the start of that movie, every single one of the people that were interviewed from the tech industry when they were asked, what is the problem, couldn't answer. Well, I think it all, so, it all starts with right. Section 230, doesn't it? Well, it does um, to a certain extent. So if you look back at how television and other, say, you know, movies have been regulated, um, there's a Communications Decency Act uh, that was passed that, you know, regulated what could be shown to children. You know, you imagine Saturday morning cartoons. I don't know about you, but, you know, I used to watch Saturday morning cartoons sometimes, you know, on regular TV, sometimes on PBS, right? And you wouldn't see, you know, advertisements for adult content on there. You wouldn't see anybody advertising for liquor or you know, cigarettes or whatever. And the reason why isn't because, you know, the advertisers didn't want to do it. It's because they couldn't. It's because there are regulations saying this is protected space for kids. We don't advertise to kids. We don't mess with their heads. 
um, when the internet came along in 1995, Section 230 was intended to allow the internet to grow. The idea was it would spark innovation if we didn't have government oversight and government regulations. And that, that sounded like a great thing. But in 1995, the first browsers were, were basically coming out. Um, there wasn't, we called it the World Wide Web. It was so you know, lame back then that we didn't even have like a, you know, a, a good name for it, right? And you got onto the World Wide Web via AOL, America Online, or some other similar service that was really you know, tightly controlled. And maybe there was only one computer in the house because they were super expensive. And it was probably your parents' computer, probably wasn't a kid's computer. So that law was intended to grow the internet. Well, we've done that. Now it's the other side of the coin, which is, okay, the internet is free range, right? Your kids can get to anything that they want, anytime they want, unless you're one of those parents that can you know, either not give them technology or can ensure that they don't go anywhere that they have it, like at their friend's house, or then they get a hold of a burner phone somewhere that, that their parents don't know about. But let's imagine that everybody has this technology and yet this, this law is still out there, Section 230, that says, you know, internet companies aren't liable, right? They don't have to, they, they don't have to be accountable for what they do. Um, and you can't sue them. If you try, uh, the courts will dismiss your case, even if you can prove harm. And I think that that creates a really, really slippery slope for tech companies saying, I'm making tons of money, but there's no way that I get sued if what I build is defective and dangerous. What other industry gets away with that? Yeah, none. <laughs> right? I mean, you can't think of an industry that, that has no liability, um, you well, know, where something happens and you can't sue them. Well, but what's, what's frustrating to me is um, the fact that we started seeing these numbers, and, and you know that there are politicians who see the correlation when you when the, you start seeing these spikes in attempted suicides and suicides in teenagers due to social media, and I'm sure that there are some politicians that have tried to do something about it, but I, I feel like in America, we've always, at least for me, like growing up and now as an adult, kids are first. Like, kids come first no matter what, and yep. to me, it's amazing that there haven't been any steps taken to try and prevent this. They put it into the parents' hands to say, hey, like, just monitor your kids, um, you know, put parental controls on their devices and all this type of stuff. But kids are kids, man. And with the easy access of internet and what's on there for them to find and it resulting into those spike numbers, like why hasn't there been anything done about it? And I, I think the answer is money, obviously, but. Yeah, there, the, the politicians explain that there is a tremendous amount of lobbying effort from tech companies. Um, there's, you know, I, I think they said something like 10 lobbyists for every congressperson. Right. So they're there parked there the whole time saying, yeah, we know we have issues. We're trying to clean it up. We're trying to make it better. We're working on things. And they've been saying that over and over again. Um, and you you saw, you know, Mark Zuckerberg go in front of uh, the Senate and and they grilled him. They said, hey, you know, what's going on? What's happening? And he said, hey, you know, we'll, we'll, we're working on it. And they took that as a as an answer. Um, nobody went back and said, you know, let's let's come up with meaningful regulation. Let's come up with you know, the same standards that we have for all the other media types to protect children. Um, and the only way that I can explain that in my head is that there was some kind of financial pressure for them not to act. I mean, that's the only thing that makes sense to me, because like you said, it doesn't matter what side of the aisle you sit on. Um, everybody wants to protect children, right? At the end of the day, nobody wants to see a child get harmed. And social media 
is in itself a tool until it becomes used to target kids, until it becomes used to put a kid and an adult that they don't know in a, in a space together where they can communicate privately. Um, those things aren't good, right? We, we would never think of, you know, the stranger danger that we teach our kids to be aware of when they're younger and then suddenly hand them a device so that they can go do the exact same thing online when you're not looking. But we've done that. And to your point, why have politicians not really followed? Because often in technology, um, the political class, they don't really catch up fast, right? With ethics, with genetics, you know, you'll see them trying to catch up with the technology because the tech is speeding so much faster than, than the laws and the policies that follow them. So that's why this is important, right? To get this, this conversation going. People don't want to have this conversation, especially adults. The idea that, you know, what, I, what they think I'm saying is we need to get rid of social media. And what I'm saying is, no, let's start out with what is happening to your kids as a result of social media. What's happening to your kids' friends? What's happening to society, right? Let's just have that conversation. And I'm starting to see it happen. I'm seeing Senate hearings now asking Facebook about some research that just came out. Right. And the research was was pretty damning. It was it was Facebook's own internal research with teens, which theoretically teens and kids, and they shouldn't have been probably collecting this research in the first place without oversight, but they collected it. And their own research, according to the the whistleblower who who released it and the documents that I sent over to you, you know, they they admit that teens feel harmed by social comparison, social pressure negative interactions with their peers, exposure to content that they should never see, right, at a younger and younger age. And they feel like they have to cope with all of this stuff alone, right? They don't feel like they can go to a parent because the parent's going to freak out. They don't feel like they can go to a school counselor because they think that they're going to freak out. So teens basically hide their behavior like you would expect teens to do. And then teens teach each other how to get around things. So if I were to put parental controls in place, there'd be a YouTube video the next day on how to get around that thing, right? Oh yeah. It's just, just a fact. And so as a parent and a therapist, I'm pretty overwhelmed because I don't think that the responsibility needs to be on the parent or the responsible party it shouldn't be the person who's sitting in front of the TV. It should be the person broadcasting the thing that's coming through the TV, right? Same thing with the internet. It shouldn't be the content that I have to block, the content shouldn't be there in the first place. And I'm going to ignore the fact that we're, you know, we're not talking about adults right now, but I think that that's relevant to adults as well. We see polarization in terms of, you know, all kinds of conversations in our society right now. But I really want to focus on what's happening with teens because kids should not be in a position of being sold to, of being manipulated, of being sexualized, of being targeted. It's, it's just wrong, and we need to make it stop. 100% we do. Um, just a few questions on that. Uh, it's just I had a train of thought, and it kind of went, went – went, I don't know where it went. But, I mean, like to me, like I said earlier, I mean, we're in the infancy of Internet, and it is ever-changing and at ever-speeds. Ever and the fact that Congress can't keep up with it, but they can keep up with so much other things – that's really not an excuse to me for why it hasn't, why something hasn't been done about it. But two things. One, 
the internet's really not involved in the constitution. So I don't know how that really like all the legalities play out in that. But, um, secondly, um, like why can't something change? Like with the internet, if it's ever changing, then changing it to make it more suitable for teenagers and kids, that should be part of that process. Right. And that's just kind of just went away. So I've, I've made a, uh, an example, you know, or I talked about an example with you um, of the internet being a utility, right? It's become a utility. It's become something that all of us believe we need. Broadband is something the government's paying for to roll out to rural areas because we believe everybody needs it. So let's imagine a utility like like water, right? And when water gets pumped into my house, I expect it to be clean and I expect it to be safe, right? I don't sit there with you know a gauge on my water pipe checking to see whether or not it's it's good or bad on a given day or whether or not you know somebody might be drinking something that they shouldn't be drinking. I expect the water company to do that. And when the water company fails to do that because something gets in my lines, I expect to be able to hold them accountable, right? There's regulations and there's liability. So I believe the internet needs the same controls. It needs the ability to say, you can't pump crap into my house. And if you do, we hold you accountable. Who are the gatekeepers, though, in, in this instance? Because I'm, I'm a fir- firm believer, and I completely agree with what you're saying. But whenever you have th- that type of power that you put into other people's hands, that's what scares me. Yeah. Well, it's the same people that control what comes into your house today. That's true. So are, are you afraid of the people that regulate electricity? Are you afraid of the people that regulate your water supply? Um, some might be, I guess, if, if you're afraid of government in general. But if you believe that clean water is something that is politicized, you know, like the government's trying to clean our water and we're scared that they're, they're doing it poorly, um, you know, maybe that's a different conversation. But I believe that anything that is a utility that we must have, must have government controls, because if you leave it to the open market, they won't do the right thing. The reason why we have controls for water quality is because we know that water, you know, water quality has been harmed. Right. Lakes and rivers, people dump stuff in it and that stuff was being pumped into houses. So it needed, you know, regulation and appropriate regulation, not, you know, lockdown. Government's going to supply your water. It's government's going to make sure that anybody who tries to give you the wrong thing pays if they give you the wrong thing. For sure. Because because businesses understand one thing. Right. Making money. And they also understand losing money. So. You give them a reason where they're going to lose some money if they do something that's harmful, if they make a product that doesn't work, they will, they will change their behavior, right? They will change their behavior. And if they don't, regulation forces them to. So there's two mechanisms, liability and basically regulation. Um, in a world where we want you know, freedoms, right? Freedom is the ability to do something that doesn't cause harm to someone else, right? We would, I think we'd agree with that, right? We should be free to do whatever we want to do. But as soon as you start hurting someone, that is no longer freedom. To me, that's where this is. And social media is doing that on a large scale. And they're, you know, held under umbrella, which is called Section 230, to where they're able to, and, you know, whether we want to think if it's intentional or not, maybe not, because like you said, it's a monster they created. They had no idea what it was going to do. Um, it's intentionally hurting people, you know, and my, I'm curious. And after having these types of conversations with you, my mind's starting to open up a little bit more and in, in understanding this. Um, 
is the is the man dude i'm off today normally i do the podcast at nighttime maybe that's what it is i don't know but um i'm, I'm gonna let you take it man i'm losing my train of thought this is not good that's okay happy to take it so you know the 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 challenge right now, so we're, we're seeing senators asking Facebook hard questions like, you know, hey, we realize that you've been doing, you know, bad things. <laughs> and Facebook's own research is saying exactly that. My problem is that we're only focused on Facebook or we're only focused on Instagram. We're not looking at the entire constellation of what's on the Internet. When a kid gets on the Internet today, they have every application available that's in either the Apple Store or the Google Play Store. And they can download anything that they want today unless there's some kind of restrictions on their device. None of the, you know, there, there's, there's no like governing body like there would be for the movie industry saying, okay, this is a rated R app. This is, you know, X, this is whatever. Kids can download rated triple X applications today, not have to provide any information other than a, maybe a fake birthday where they'll make up, you know, hey, I'm 18 and they're on. And they're immediately exchanging information with anyone in the world, right? And, you know, with some of these applications, they have the ability to match two people up. And often those, those two people are a kid and somebody with not good intentions for that kid. And that happens every day, all day. And what I don't understand is that we're not having that conversation. So what do it's, you it's something that, that could happen right now. You know, I, I could download an application and show you right now that I could be a kid, have explicit content pushed to me with no restrictions whatsoever. Yeah, that's and, the, and that's the scary part. But what do you say to people that are like, well, you know, the Internet is the Internet and I, I should be able to look at the Internet and it shouldn't be filtered or anything like that? Because, you know, I, and I, I think you and I had this conversation before. It's like, you know, like. I'm not going to, and I, you used the good analogy. We started talking about guns, but it's like, I, I have no bad intention to do anything on the internet. So I think kind of what we're coming to a consensus consensus on is the fact that there's an overwhelming amount of bad things happening to teenagers. And I think it's to the point now where it's like, Hey, Hey Paul, like, you know, however you believe the internet should be, something needs to change because of the effect it's having on these people and how do right. they, Let's talk about guns. Let's let's use that as an example, right? I'm a teenager. Can I go buy a gun? No. No, I can't. Um, I'm a teenager with a gun. Is it legal? No. No. So, you know, that's the point. The point is, if I hand a teenager a phone that has access to, you know, pornography that's illegal, or they're sending Snapchats of themselves, you know, back and forth between each other, which is illegal, they become felons. They become felons in the eyes of the law. That's a lot different than we think. We think that they just get in trouble or get banned or whatever, but the law views that behavior as a felony. And that is so serious when we're talking about our teens. And there is no way in my mind that we should ever have a tool or a device or any app in the hands of a teenager that could cause them to commit a felony. You know, it's, it's just absurd to me, right? And I don't think that people realize that, that literally teenagers are texting each other, teenagers, and they're, whatever that they're doing, um, and they're getting charged felonies. I would be curious, and I, I would need to look this up, of what the amount of people who have been charged. You're not, you're not going to find that. And the reason why is because 
when teens are prosecuted for these kinds of things, it's hidden, right? If you look for a lawsuit, it will say Doe, as in John Doe or Jane Doe, versus you know being a teenager. You won't you won't hear parents talking about this because it's shameful. They want to suppress this. So that's why this conversation is not happening. We're we're hearing it more with suicidality because it's like, you know, when your when your friend commits suicide, um, you know, th- everybody knows about it, right? Yeah. Um, but when you have a situation where, you know, other things are happening on the internet that we consider, you know, to be unsavory, no one wants to talk about that. And yet it is the most important conversation to be having, which is why can kids get to stuff that adults shouldn't even be getting to content that's illegal for adults, right? That would put them in jail. Kids should never be able to reach that content. It shouldn't exist. It shouldn't be available. And the fact that they are, you know, do seeing things and doing things today, what's happening in their brains is that they're thinking that because it's common, because they see it everywhere, they think it's normal. And they're, they're conflating the two. They're saying, okay, well, common means that it's normal and it's okay because obviously they wouldn't have this stuff out there if it was wrong right so anybody that grew up with you know having a phone in their hand from middle school thinks that whatever's going on on the internet is just what goes on um so you know when my son told me the other day that he you know thought it was pretty normal for people for kids to be streaming their suicides now on live which several of the applications like instagram and and Snapchat have a live option, right? Where you can broadcast just like we're doing now, one to many, except the many now are watching you commit suicide. That's horrific. Yeah. So, I mean, and there are tools in place for these uh, social media companies to where they could obviously get that off their platform and not allow it. I mean, but if it's live, if it's live, how do they get it off? Meaning it's already there. Once something hits the internet, it's there forever. For sure. Is right? It- and so so I guess my point is they came up with this live concept, and no, none of us parents signed up for this. We didn't say, yeah, I want my kid to be able to broadcast live to 100,000 strangers across the world. But because of this idea of having popularity, likes, you know, to be important, to be valued, kids want to show something that goes viral, Right. And kids that have, you know, psychologies that are already pretty stretched start showing stuff that they shouldn't be showing. And they become criminals in the process and they invite a whole new generation of people to come along with them. Um, So, you know, I'm just talking about the latest thing, which I think live hit kind of in the past year from what I could tell, where, you know, you can get on TikTok, for example, and broadcast yourself to everyone, right? And they just join your channel. They just flip by and, you know, TikTok feeds up something and says, hey, that you might be interested in this content. And suddenly they're collecting viewers, right? And yeah, they may take down that content, but they probably won't take it down as fast as you want them to. And let's just talk about TikTok. Are they even an American company? No. No, they're a Chinese company. So really, what do they, what do they care other than their, their reputation, right? There's no liability. There's no way that we're going to shut them down unless the government says, hey, this is bad for us. So we start- guess, guess what? In China, they did. <laughs> In China, they told their own kids, you're only allowed to watch 40 minutes now of their equivalent of TikTok every day. 
And I'm sure their equivalent of TikTok is pretty sanitized. Oh, right? Yeah. We don't think much of the Chinese communists, but we do realize that they recognize that their own platforms are dangerous. <laughs> so that how do we get people to try and understand that? Because people are set in their ways. The internet is the internet for what we know. And trying to change that, I think that is part of this conversation um, and, and continuing that on in a way for people to understand it. And this is just a basic conversation and pretty much common, common sense, but people are set in their ways and they love the yeah. internet for what it is. And there are a lot of good people out there who don't abuse the internet, you know, and I, I hate using that argument, but there's probably millions of people who don't, but how do we get those people to understand like this is something very serious and some sort of change needs to happen. Sure. And this is not getting rid of, you know, anything. This is about regulation. So let's talk about cars, right? Cars aren't inherently evil, right? But they cause people to die every day. So what do we do? We have, you know, national organizations that regulate car safety, right? We just, you know, we assume that somebody's out there keeping track of, you know, what's happening and they're, they're recognizing that there's a problem and they do something about it. Seatbelt law was a perfect example years ago of something that people flipped out about, right? I should have the, the freedom to get in my car and not put a seatbelt on. Yeah, except that we know that seatbelts save lives. And so when the government said, you know, we want less deaths due to people dying from not having a seatbelt on, people got really upset. But the death rate started to fall and it actually started to work. And so I think there's a trade-off between liberty, the ability to do what you want to do, and safety. And when we talk about teen safety or child safety, I think it even is a higher standard. Like, we don't really want our kids to have full liberty. We don't think of that, right? We don't think of our kids having full freedom to do whatever they want. So I don't want to confuse the issue by saying social media is bad for adults that's a different conversation. And we can have that one day because I can tell you that there are parts of, you know, the social media universe that are ruining marriages that are, you know, getting guys addicted to porn that are, you know, doing all kinds of stuff um, that isn't good. But my conversation today is specifically about something I think we can all agree on, which is that, yeah, some teenagers are able to handle social media better than others, but they all know somebody who can't. Okay, and so the the rise in suicides, um, yeah, it's starting to touch everybody, even the kids with the great parents who lock down their phones, who are super like on top of them, and those teens maybe wouldn't do anything wrong, know somebody else who wasn't so lucky. And so when it comes to teen safety, I'm, I'm perfectly willing to over-rotate uh, to protect our kids. I'm right there with you, man. I, for me, like whenever we first start, had this conversation, like, I'm a content creator, obviously I'm on YouTube and stuff like that. And what scares me the most about getting rid of section 230 is that now I could become held liable for the things that I say, as opposed to YouTube, you know what I'm saying? Cause they can't be sued. Um, that's kind of where for me, that's where it got a little yeah. grainy, but like you said, it did, not everything has to be flip flopped. It's just more, right. it's just more geared towards not getting explicit content to anyone and everyone at that point. You know what I'm saying? That doesn't just have to be teenagers, but shit stuff that doesn't need to be there. Like you said. Yeah. And, and let's just start with that. I mean, that's fair. You know, let's say, you know, we don't do adults first and, you know, we don't, we, we modify 230 to specifically talk about what teens can access. Right. And, and I say teens, but, but children as well. OK, 
Can you hear me okay still? Oh yeah. Think, yep. Okay. Yep. Um, so, you know, let's let's start with how do I know that you're a team, right? Where is the verification service out there that we all trust that says yes? I know that this person that's on the service is this age. Doesn't exist. We don't, we don't have that. And so teenagers lie about their ages all the time. 13-year-olds say they're 17-year-olds to get on services. Nine-year-olds say they're 13-year-olds to get on services. Whatever it is, they all lie. Um, they create multiple accounts. They, they fake who they are. They, they you know, say all kinds of things. But guess what? So are the adults. They're out there lying, saying, I'm a teenager. Hey, let's get together, right? Um, I'm you know, maybe out there gaming with someone. And I find out, oh, that's an adult. OK, well, that's, that's cool. I, you know, I, really don't want to be talking to this person, but, you know, they develop a relationship, right, on a gaming platform, and then they get groomed off to go somewhere else, to have a one-on-one -on -one conversation somewhere else. Is that okay? To me, that's that's horrific. Yes, that is horrific. <laughs> but it happens every day, yeah. and it happens all the time. And that's one it's specific you. instance, as, as and you've already named a few others. So we have all these things happening every single day at all times. Yeah, so let's... Let's all agree that we want to protect our kids, right? And that the internet is not able to do it itself. The tech companies that built this thing, they don't have the ability to stop it because their profit motive is to get eyeballs, to get people staring at these screens, to get kids specifically, right, addicted so that they're on their platform because it's an ad model. Every single one of these companies that is not selling their product is advertising using advertising, they're selling you to advertisers and that's how they make their money. So if they start restricting their platform, especially if they restrict that really juicy, um, you know, age group that, that, you know, has such influence in terms of what they buy, um, you know, ad advertisers would flip out, right? They'd say, you know, I, I don't want to use your platform. I want to go to somebody else who, who will give me that target market. So, they're not the people that are going to say, yeah, we're going to change our ways because all of, all of their focus is on how do I get more people watching? How do I get, get them watching longer? How do I get them to, you know, to be popular for this particular advertiser who wants to be able to target that particular group? And what I have to say is, you know, when you're talking about adults, I, I don't like the way it feels. I, I think it's, it's extremely, extremely manipulative. But when we're, when we're talking about kids, it's a totally different thing. They should never be given the opportunity to mess with kids, ever. Well, so the two, and so what's funny about, I mean, what's funny about this situation is, so we, when YouTube came out with a lot of, you know, they changed their terms of service and stuff like that. And when it came to YouTube Kids, um, initially they said that um, any, you know, any person who was uploading videos like kids' videos, like Diane and Roma, Nostov, whatever, um, they weren't going to be able to make money because they weren't going to really add allow ads onto kids videos because you know, YouTube used to have them when you watch YouTube kids videos, you, there'd be adult ads on it. So of, of course yeah. YouTube got whipped into shape and they said, Hey, we're not going to allow that anymore. Um, but YouTube went around it and now they still can make money, but just not as much. Right. But it, I mean, it's, in, it's insane how much money are uh, the influence. I mean, you're talking these videos, hundreds of millions of views, 24 million views on average for some of these YouTube kids people. That's insane. But sorry, my second point before I let you go in there. Um, so uh, you our Amazon sells their, their Kindles or their little Amazon tablets for kids. And it's just a little device and it's supposed to be just kid friendly. Well, when you download YouTube, well, YouTube and Amazon don't get along. 
So my two my two daughters, we have the two Kindles, and just even after after having this conversation, I just want to throw them in the trash. Um, since they don't get along, you cannot download YouTube Kids on the Kindle for the Amazon because mm-hmm. they don't allow it on their app store. So now it's just like you have to, they're forcing you to go out and buy an iPad. Well, if you don't have an iPad and you have that, the, your kid's getting adult content on YouTube. That's right. So, I mean, I went in there and I changed the filter to where it said, hey, age restriction, but it's still not YouTube Kids, which YouTube Kids is really cool because it's all just kids' videos. There's really not a chance that you're going to find any type of adult content on it, you know? But if you got the Amazon tablet, sorry about it. Yeah. Yeah. I'll tell you, it was really easy to, you know, to control what content my, my, my kids saw up until about age nine. But it, once he hit 10, he started gaming. He started having, you know, access to the world of gamers. It wasn't kids anymore. It was half kids, half adults. And the content and the language, you know, the, just the, you know, the vulgarity was, was awful. And I'd get on, I'd, you know, have the same experience as an adult. And I'd be like, how do I, where, where's the kids section, right? How do I, how do I tag this thing? So I know that he's only going to get matched up with other kids. I couldn't do that. And so, you know, this was built to connect everybody together, right? That was Facebook's entire mission, but the internet itself was this idea of global connectivity was a good thing. And there are things that are good about it, but without protections, there's no way for a kid to get on this this perfectly connected environment and not find themselves connected to something that is going to hurt them. I, I, I just you know illustrate the example that there should be no way that a minor should be connected to an adult that they don't know without parents knowing about it. That shouldn't be a possibility, right? They yeah. should only be connected to their friends and people that we say that they can connect to, but that doesn't exist. No, it doesn't. And it's something that has to change. And I think that's what we'll, we'll, get, we'll head to next. But before that, this is just like my brief history with like growing up in the internet age is I remember like, like you said, getting on AOL and like the big thing, I was like sixth, seventh grade, maybe eighth aim had a messenger and you had to like find your friends, their aim name. And then once you got their name, then you could communicate and talk. It's like, it was like texting on phone, but it was on, you know, dial up. That was cool. But then like, I, you know, would watch my mom on the computer and, you know, she would get on these chat rooms and then I would, you know, it's msn.com, look at chat rooms, local chat rooms. And then you click on these chat rooms. And, man, I was like 12, 13. And it's just men's 40s, women's 50s, lesbians, you know, chat room. You know, all these things. And I'm like, what is going on? Like, I'm like 12. I'm like, what is all this? I would get on those chat rooms. And I would be this fake person saying, you know, they, they'll do ASL, age, sex, location. And you just lied, like you said. I'm a 12-year-old yeah. saying that I'm a 30-year-old man or a 30-year-old woman. Like, that's insane. And do you, do you think that that's deviant for that 12-year-old to be curious about that or to, to go out there and want to explore that world? Or do you think that that's exactly what a 12-year-old, a typical 12-year-old would do? No, no, absolutely not. Yeah. And so the idea of people responsibly using the internet, which is always the argument, you know, it's like, hey, if you use it well, you know, you're mature, that's great. But a 12-year-old the definition of maturity is not 12. No. <laughs> Sorry. Right. And so, so to point my 12 year old at a situation where he's going to see all this stuff and then expect a good result. It's just, 
it's it's insane. Yeah, and I I think we're getting what we deserve for for allowing, you know, all of this openness, right? Um, we're we're getting what we deserve in terms of we've allowed we've allowed the people that made the the platforms to do whatever they want to do. Um, now they're hugely rich and they're hugely influential. How do we how do we then come back around as parents? policymakers, whatever, and say, nope, once you've done that and it's hurting people, it has to stop. Um, we, we went down this path with big tobacco, right, where they wouldn't admit for years and years and years that their product was killing people. They finally did, but it took a lot to get there. I'm afraid that the, this is kind of the same thing. It's like, I'm going to have this conversation probably over and over and over again, and people are going to be saying, yeah, well, I still like my, my social media. And I'm not saying that. I'm saying don't sell cigarettes to kids. <laughs> I'm right. saying if you do get caught selling cigarettes to kids, you will you'll be committing a felony. You know, right. it's like the person doing the bad thing to our children is the person that needs to be responsible or liable. And in this case, it happens to be those social media companies. And it's not so much the obvious ones. We see them, you know, contributing to the harm, but they're actually the better actors. The ones that we're not talking about today, the the ones that match you to anybody else in the world so that you have a video chat session with some random person and you're a kid, those need to go away yesterday. Right. Yeah. And I think, and, and so my next question would be is what steps do we take? And I, I think some of those steps you've kind of already outlined is holding people accountable. Um, you know, not arresting kids for doing these things, but arresting adults who are doing these things to kids on the internet. Or, yeah. I mean, fines or whatever it is. I don't know wh what the baby step is. Obviously, talking and having conversations, going to your local governments. I don't even know if that works because I know that in Florida, they tried to pass some type of legislation against Section 230 to where they wouldn't be able to uh, ban conservative type of conversation in the state of Florida. And I don't think that got upheld. You know what I'm saying? Like with, al yeah. with algorithms and stuff like that. Well, well I, think, I think that's why the conversation should change from, you know, what, what would be correct for a political conversation, which is, you know, First Amendment speech, I need to have my, my voice heard, it, you know, a, a political, you know, the left shouldn't be able to, to ban stuff from the right. That, that's a different conversation than the one I'm having. It should be had, but this is about the fact that we all agree that kids should not be exposed. It, there's no First Amendment right to expose kids to harmful content or people and yet we're doing that in the name of an open internet. So what to do about it? You know, educate yourself on what the Communications Decency Act is, especially that Section 230. Lobby your congressman, lobby your senator. Um, they're having hearings right now to reform it. Um, make sure that you know all your 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 co-parents all understand that these threats aren't just you know, random, they're growing, right? And, and we're talking about growing at a percentage rate that is unprecedented for us. Suicides, right? Um, body image issues, depression, anxiety, right? Kids getting addicted um, to, to internet usage, pornography, sexual exploitation, all of this stuff is bad, okay? And we can all agree that when it comes to teenagers and kids, that there isn't anywhere that we want this to happen. So 
if you're going to focus on 230, start with teens, start with everybody that we can agree with and on down and protect our kids. Simple enough. Yeah, very simple enough. And I'm not asking or stating that you have all the right answers when it comes to what do we do, because it's a hard question. And I think even for the politicians who, when they start, you know, going through reforming Section 230 and applying it to teenagers, there's going to be a lot of tough things that happen. But Mm -hmm. if those tough things allow kids to grow up the way that they should grow up, I think that that's the most important goal. And I could only imagine a world where these kids are able to do that how beautiful that would be and how much more beautiful that that would make this country. You know, um, that, that's just kind of how I feel about it. But yeah, I mean, I want kids to be able to get on the internet. I want them to be able to get on, you know, YouTube and Wikipedia. I want them to be able to game, but I want to know, I want to know when they're on there and they're meeting their friends and they're doing what they're doing, that it's what we think they're supposed to be doing as opposed to what they're actually able to do. Right. I don't want the ability for our kids to, to be able to, you know, I don't want to be handing a phone to some kid and saying, yeah, you can commit felonies on this thing, believe it or not. It's like handing a gun to a kid. What do you expect so, is going to happen? Will you explain to people whenever you say like a kid can, can commit a felony, like what is an example of a kid committing a felony on a social media app? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, you've heard the term sexting, right? Which is, you know, two teens decide to send nudes back and forth, or maybe just one does, right? Um, and that's that's a pretty common thing um, on a on a platform like Snapchat. I think that people have forgotten that Snapchat was was that app that all the kids went to because it immediately deletes the picture. And so when a parent grabbed a phone from a kid to say, "What have you been doing on here?" There's no evidence, right? And yet, Snapchat as a company and many others like them have servers. All of this data goes up to their servers, and then they see that content. They report it to to law enforcement and they say child pornography, right? And as soon as they do that, law enforcement doesn't make a distinction about whether or not this is a kid doing something that, you know, kids do in real life that isn't illegal, like, you know, standing in a room together. Um, But if you do it on the internet, it actually has a law. Lewd and lascivious conduct, it's a felony, and it carries a pretty significant you know, wait, if a, if a kid gets labeled as, you know, somebody who is um, a felon or somebody who's on the child or, or is on the uh, sex offender uh, list, that goes with them for, for potentially the rest of their lives, depending on how serious the, uh, the crime is. That's so insane. I guess what I'm saying is kids, kids don't know this. They know it's probably, you know, naughty or they know it's bad or they know it's wrong, but they have no idea that the laws that were built for transmitting images, um, especially of underage you know, minors, uh, carries a huge, huge, huge penalty. And the courts don't really have the ability to sort out you know, one from the other. But I mean, even in that instance, like if I'm a judge and, and this is all just kind of just basic, you know, just, just as a judge or as a police officer in that scenario, I know they're technically whatever you want to call it following the law, but that is insane that they're going along with it. And that's what, that's, what's most frustrating with me about when you have something like this happening and they just, instead of fixing the problem, they just continue to make it worse. And they're like, well, how does the judge not just like question that? Like sitting in the courtroom, like you're a judge, you're supposed to be ruling on legitimate stuff and you're ruling on two 15 year olds who are sending each other pictures. Yeah. And they're well, the law. The laws aren't written with a lot of gray area for judges when it comes to, to sexual content. 
um, it's it's very cut and dry. Um, but so, they're two fifteen year olds. Like they're smart. They, these people are smart. They're not dumb people. How are they not up with voices as well? And their voices are a lot bigger. You know what I'm saying? Like cops and judges and whoever and lawyers. Like how do they not see it and just get involved in this? And I'm sure there are some who are, but for the most part, I guess not because look what we're still dealing with. Yeah, I, I think it's happening quickly. Um, like I just gave an example of live, right? It, it's something that just started in the past year from what I could tell where you could live stream yourself. Um, so a lot of, I think a lot of the court system is just kind of now starting to see this, you know, this uh, technology is starting to have an impact in the same way that it took us this long to see that suicides were directly related to the release of social media apps. You know, it takes years and, you know, to see a trend and the way that the court systems and the legal system works is they just go by the law. If the law is written this way, they act just by the letter of the law. And there's not a lot of, you know, flexibility in terms of how they view things. So, you know, just back to the fact that our laws say, if you do these behaviors, if you do something, you know, like I just described, it's a felony. If you were to do that same thing, it'd have to be something pretty horrific in another dimension, right? You'd have to, you know, harm somebody tremendously. You'd probably have to shoot someone, yeah. right? Or you'd have to, you know, lay hands on someone. Um, you'd have to molest someone in order to have the same results as you're having um, on these social media apps. And so, I I think we've all missed kind of how how serious this is um, because we're not seeing it. Like I told you earlier, stuff that happens with kids doesn't get around. There's a reason for that. And and when you said, well, why aren't judges and police talking about it? Because they're not allowed to. They're not allowed to talk about what happens to kids. Yeah, that because that's what the law says. That's right. And there's a, so yeah, just, so it's a catch twenty two there, right? How, how are they going to get the word out that something's going wrong? They don't. I do, right? As a counselor, as a therapist, as somebody who's who's got kids coming into my office and working with all the other therapists who realize that we've got a problem, and then getting the word out to everyone to say, hey, you know, just like with any other social social justice issue. Um, that we're facing right now, and there are a lot of them. Um, this is probably should be top of the list. Yeah, no, it should definitely be at top of the list because I think in the next twenty years, the type of country that that would create if this is continued to be allowed is going to be a very scary one. Well, I think we're already seeing that. You know, I mean, we're seeing it in suicide rates increasing. Uh, we're seeing it in school shootings, which I'm. And positive has some kind of social media tie-in. Usually somebody got bullied, somebody got, you know, treated poorly. And, and you know, there's usually some kind of amplification via social media where, you know, they group together with like-minded people to formulate their plans. Um, and there's also, you know, that kind of uh, recruitment into, say, terrorist organizations, right, for kids where they, they, they're ripe, you know, for the picking. So there's a lot here. Um, I don't even know where to begin, but it's just so much that it's like, I think the the focus has to be on stopping um, the content from flowing, stopping teenagers from being able to access adults they don't know, or or the reverse for adults to be able to reach out to a teen or a kid. And um, I think we can all agree that that just shouldn't that shouldn't be a thing. And better tools for parents so that we can see what's going on. Um, you know, not all parents care, right? 
a lot of parents don't care what their teens are doing or their kids. Um, but for those parents that do, we should have access to free, high quality tools um, that are made available to all of us, not just the ones that can afford it. For sure. 100%. People always say, um, well, back in the day, this didn't happen, you know, and back in the day, you could let your kids out and play in the yard and they could go down the street and play with Billy Bob or whatever it is. And like me now having kids, I'm like, well, I don't know. I don't think I would just let my daughters just run out and just do all this and all that. And I think you're right. I think social media has a large part to play in that in technology, maybe not just social media. I know it's part of technology, but technology in general. And there's obviously no slowing it down. Like you said, it's just a freight train. That's probably never going to stop. Um, but at least trying to understand it more and putting regulations on it because I don't even understand it. You know, I just use it. And to, you know, luckily you were brought into my life to make me more aware of these types of things that are going on. And I knew it, you know, subconsciously, I knew these types of things, but for you to break it down and put it on basically a piece of paper for me to understand like, Hey, Paul, something's wrong here and we need to do something about it. And I think that if everyone were to see it that way, everyone else would agree. And maybe not, but I think majority would. And we, we can control technology, I think but we have to want to do it and not let money and greed and power get in the way in terms yep. of services and signing stuff that we don't know. We're, you know what I'm saying? That's just a, another conversation yeah. in itself, but yeah, we, we could have more conversations about adults and what we face and, you know, just the, the entire ecosystem of the internet. But today's focus was specifically oh, yeah. on, on the thing I think we all agree with, which is protecting our kids. Uh, there should just be no argument about that. No, there shouldn't. Well, I mean, we're definitely getting close to the uh, the top of the hour. I don't know if there's any lasting comments that you have, but for me, Scott, I, I greatly appreciate you, man. Like, it's been an yeah. honor just to meet you and have you in my life, man. It's been it's been a great pleasure, and just what you're doing, man. It's it's very important and it's powerful. Yeah, I really appreciate you giving me a you know a chance to talk about it. It's I think the more that we can get this message out, the more people understand what's going on. Just like you said. You know, your point of view slightly changes as you get more information, as you understand what's happening. Um, so we're not as polarized, right? We can have a conversation, we can meet in the middle and, and come up with, you know, action plans and, and, you know, positions, advocacy that makes a difference. So I, I really appreciate you, you know, giving me that that opportunity to, to get my message out today and, and hopefully it resonates. Yeah, I think it will. Unfortunately, uh, and this is just a side subject, but YouTube... I mean, we've had some conspiracy podcasts on this channel before, so they don't really, and even then, you know, it's not an authoritative news source, but hopefully people see the message, they get a, a good title down, because people would say this subject isn't sexy, and that's why people won't listen to it. I'm like, well, this is very important, so hopefully this message does get spread and people do, you know, tune in and try and understand it a little bit more. Yeah, well, I hope so. I hope, I hope, it's, uh, I hope it's not sexy. I don't want this one to be sexy. I want it to be important. For sure. Right. You know what I mean by what, I, I, sexy. I, no, I, I know. I know exactly what you meant. And the idea is I'm not really, I'm not looking for this to be viral because it's so like, um, you know, something that, that everybody's like, oh gosh, this is, this is so interesting. But rather I want people to recognize and, and focus on the fear of, of what would happen if we don't protect our children. So yeah. Um, Public service announcements usually kind of boring, but you know, you know, your brain on drugs with the the eggs. Uh, I think everybody remembers that one. Um, the person smoking the cigarette through the hole in their neck. Yep. You know, 
those those matter. And so I'm trying to, I think, create the same PSA for what's happening uh, with kids today. Anyone who has them should be interested. That's for sure. Yeah. So mental health of children, um, this is a good place to start. Yes, sir. So. Well, I appreciate you joining Talk Junkies, man. I'll, I'll be seeing you soon. I'm sure of it. But um, I don't know if there's any any. If you want me to put any type of contact information in the description below, or where can people find you, or this message? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, my website, KCTRN, so Kansas City Trauma Response Network dot com, and you can uh, send uh, an email to info at kctrn dot com, and you'll reach me. And so I look forward to hearing from anybody with uh, either views that are similar to the ones I have, but I'd also like to hear, you know, contrarian views. Always open to another opinion. For sure. And you might write a book here soon. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I don't know that. But you have enough information on this subject. You, you should, my man. Would be fun. Rock on. Well, Scott, have a good one, my man. Thanks. All right, Paul. Thanks for your time. Yeah. Bye.